This week, we're talking about time-lapse and astrophotography with Michael Shane Bloom, and you're listening to the Landscape Photography Podcast. As always, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I'm excited about this episode because I really know nothing about time-lapse. I'm a time-lapse noob, and who better to talk to than Michael Shane Bloom? Michael Shane Bloom, if you don't already know, is one of the top photographers in the world. He has literally millions of people following him on social media, and for good reason, his work is absolutely amazing. He's one of the guys that I'm constantly drawing inspiration from. Before we jump into this episode, I do want to let you know that I have one spot that has come available on my Oregon Coast tour. So if you're interested in photographing the Oregon Coast with me, you can check that out at Nick Page Photography as well as my Mastering Luminosity Masks course. I announced that last week and holy cow, that thing has blown up. It's selling like hotcakes uh, and I've been getting a lot of really good feedback on it. So thank you to everybody that's picked up those videos. Okay, well with that, let's sit back and relax and nerd out about time-lapse photography with Michael Shane Bloom. So when it comes to astrophotography and time-lapse, there are several people that come to mind and Michael, you are one of them. <laughs> so I'm excited to have you on the show. It's good to hang out with you again, man. Hey, thanks, man. I, uh, I had a lot of fun last time. So, you know, it's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. <laughs> I'm excited I've been, to be here. I've been following your adventures. You've been doing cool stuff as always. Looks like you had epic lightning show up in your area the last night and then you've just coming back from italy and the dolomites um what kinds of stuff have you been up to uh pretty much just that i guess uh <laughs> taking as many pictures as possible and i'm trying to do a lot of time lapse i've actually been pretty into time lapse lately i mean i used to do it a long time ago and i kind of went on like a time lapse hiatus for yeah like two years or so and yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I wanted to get back into it. I just felt really inspired to try um, doing more time lapse and try new things. So yeah, time lapse photos and adventures and cool. pretty much just that. <laughs> Inspiration's funny that way because it, it comes in waves, you know. And when you're a creative person, like the the most successful creative people, they kind of you know, they pay attention to those waves and they do whatever they're inspired to do at the moment. And by doing that, you tend to produce better work because you're into it. It's when you're not into it that you start producing less than stellar work because you're kind of just going through the motions. And mm. it's totally understandable to go through a hiatus from time lapse because uh, I've shot a little bit of time lapse, not very much at all, but it is so much commitment. It's a time commitment. It's a lot of work. Um, I can totally understand like being like, you know what? I, I think I'm done with that for a while. It's pretty tedious. It's just different from photography. I love both. I love both equally, but time lapse definitely in a lot of ways, it's just, yeah, it is pretty time consuming. I mean, the word time is in the, is <laughs> yeah, in the thing. It, it you know? like, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. As they it's, call it uh, time lapse for a reason, because time has it's, lapsed. It's a lot of editing too. Yeah. You know, shooting it is actually maybe like a fifth of the time. It actually, yeah. Editing time lapse just, it takes forever. It, requ it requires a pretty hefty 
computer mm -hmm. or a lot of rendering time and even just the most simple things like oh a bird flew into my time lapse and i wasn't doing long exposures that's going to be annoying yeah to, you know clone out <laughs> yeah that just cost flicker, me a half hour yeah. thanks a lot bird <laughs> yeah <laughs> well but, and uh, you know it, time lapse yeah. requires a whole lot of planning and prep as well because you're dealing with a lot of times I'm guessing you're not just doing static shots on just a tripod. It looks like you're adding some movements into a lot of yours mm -hmm. and okay, there's a whole bunch of extra setup. And then you have ones where you're like, you know, tracking the Milky Way and then, oh, there's a different piece of gear. There's a whole and there's more <laughs> setup. There is so much more prep that you have to do and that. And so there's time on the on the front half of it as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's a lot more gear to hike out to a place as well, which gets kind of annoying sometimes if you just want to, sometimes I have to leave it all behind because I'm like, I just want to go for a hike and enjoy it. I don't want to lug two tripods, a giant motion head and a yeah. six foot slider out with me. I mean, that's so much, you know, when you're going on a pretty hefty hike, that's so much gear to bring. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes I have to say, you know what, I, I would like, it would be fun to do a motion time-lapse at this place, but I think I'm just going to leave it behind. But when, when I do get the chance to do the motion time-lapse and use the slider and the pan and tilt head and the extra stuff, I mean, it can create some really, really cool oh, yeah. effects. It's nice because uh, with a static time-lapse, you know, it kind of, oftentimes the image feels a little flat, but it's fine. I mean, it, that's a really nice look a lot of the times. I love doing static time lapses, but the cool thing about using the motion stuff is it really does put you in the space more. It, it makes everything feel 3D and you really do get to navigate around the space as if you were there, you yeah. know, as if you were walking around or if you were actually experiencing the place. And that's why in film, I mean, oftentimes the camera's moving, you know, they have it on a, on a stabilizer or they have it on a slider or they have it on some sort of rig that moves so that you are moving around the space. Um, and the same kind of technique applies for time-lapse. Yeah. Just that small change in perspective. Like if you're on a slider that's sliding up, let's say just that slight change in perspective makes that one shot interesting for a little bit longer. Like you can kind of milk mm -hmm. a little bit more out of that shot as opposed to something that's static you can only look at so many seconds of one frame before you're like, yeah, I'm ready for the next. I'm ready for the next. And But, you know, that's one of the interesting things of time lapse is that you're putting literally, I don't know, but you tell me like 10 to 12 hours worth of work of just like the, the shooting aspect for like 10 to 12 seconds of footage <laughs> that it ends up being. It's a lot of work for um, a short amount of payout. Yeah, it's definitely, well, it depends on the shot, right? Most of the daytime shots I do probably only last for 15 to 30 minutes. They're usually not yeah, tons huge. of hours. Sure. I mean, they, you know, you have to set up the shot and break it down as well. But um, I'd say maybe an hour with all that considered for a daytime shot. But the Milky Way stuff, the night yeah. sky stuff, or a day to night shot where you're seeing the actual colors and transitions. Um, yeah, I mean three, four, five, six hours. I mean, mm -hmm. it can be a lot of shooting. And then um, to compile all that together and really make it look nice. I mean, there's shots. Some shots take me all day to, to you know, get to look look right. I just have to keep rendering it until it looks right. And, oh, I have to do this effect and that effect and this transition mm -hmm. and mask this out. And the thing about masking something out in a photo, it's pretty easy. You just, you know, anyone knows how to use the clone stamp and in Photoshop if they've uh, used Photoshop for a little bit, but 
uh, cloning something out of a time lapse, especially a time lapse that's on yeah. a slider. Like if you have a dust spot or something like that, I mean, it is, it's not easy. I, it's doable, but it takes a long time. Um, but what's fun about a static time lapse is it does relate a little bit more to photo because it is kind of the you know the frame is staying stationary for the most part um and the other element that i really like about it is it actually challenges me to try and shoot the most interesting possible scene because if you yeah. can make uh, a shot that's really interesting and it is a static shot um that, you know i feel like that means you were successful in uh really challenging yourself to to work with what you have because with the slider i mean it's off you can make things interesting with a slide there's so many different transitions you can show so many you know you can show two different subjects in a scene if you're using the slider but with a static it's it's kind of like photography where it's it's hard to make an interesting still frame you know yeah. you have to really work to make an interesting photograph and i feel the same way when i'm doing a static time lapse i'm like you know how can i make this interesting scene so both have their challenges and both are are necessary but um that a lot of people ask me when they're first getting into time lapse hey should i buy the slider and i'm like well it's really fun to use and you're gonna make really cool stuff with it but i would say try and master the static time lapse first because yeah. then it's just going to make you that much uh better when you actually do want to introduce some sort of motion mm -hmm. into a scene and like so many other things like the, the technology can kind of get in the way of creativity that the more gear that you're adding to the equation, oftentimes the less creative you're going to be with that gear because you're getting so hung up on the technical, you forget to like actually be creative with your composition or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, shoot in the, the most optimum conditions or light. So, you know, kind of holding off on that extra gear a lot of times will enable people to be a little bit more creative probably as well. Yeah, I would say that for sure. I mean, when I was in my last Italy trip, to be honest, I'm a little embarrassed about this, but I didn't even set up my slider. Oh, I brought I, it. I'm so disappointed <laughs> in you. <laughs> I just didn't. <laughs> I didn't even set it up because I, you know, I just there was we were doing a lot of hikes and I just really didn't want to lug a slider around yeah. and have to deal with it, especially with you know us trying to shoot all. I wanted to shoot stills and time lapse, and that already is kind of hard enough to do because you want to focus on getting a really interesting composition for your still and then also set up a time lapse somewhere it's just enough to think about without introducing the extra equipment mm. um, i did do some pan and tilt shots with my motion time lapse head but uh, yeah I, I didn't do any slider moves on my trip it, it just wasn't the right time some some of the time it's just it doesn't feel right to bring the slider out but past three trips i did before that i was using it almost every day so i felt like a little break you know was nice <laughs> yeah so it's impossible to have a conversation about time lapse without at least diving into the gear a little bit uh so the, we've already been we've been talking about sliders and pan heads and stuff what what slider are you using what pan head are you using um let's start there yeah, so I'm using the Modimo Spectrum for the pan and tilt head, and uh, it's amazing. It's super easy to use, pretty intuitive as far as the equipment goes, and you use a PlayStation controller to actually set up the moves. It's actually really good for video, too. So I've been using that, and then I have that with the Dynamic Perception slider. And uh, both I've, I've worked with both companies for, I don't know how many years, four years, five years, something Very like cool. that. and. 
it, it's nice because they're you know like family companies they're smaller companies that care about uh the people using their gear so they're fun companies to be involved with because you feel like you're actually a part of something rather than just i don't know one of these big camera companies just throwing some gear at you and saying whatever we don't care yeah so it's yeah it's fun to be a part of that and it's it has been really fun to see the companies grow over the past years and seeing all the technology they've come up with i remember the first time i tried to use a slider it was like this pretty difficult to, for me at least because i'm not i'm not super technical it was this, it was really difficult to set up moves and the technology's come so far from what i'm about to talk about but uh, at the time it was a slider where like you set up the speed and everything and you have to do a little bit of math to figure that out and uh the camera though the camera and the motor doesn't know where it is so you have to watch it to make sure the cart isn't going to the end of the slider or else it's just going to keep trying to go to the end until it breaks the motor <laughs> oh, um i mean that was a while ago both the companies have come out with some really incredible key framing technology three-point move this you know just it's pretty incredible and it makes everything a lot easier now. So that's some of the like sliders and pan heads and stuff that you use. What, what cameras, like how many cameras do you take with you when you go out and do time lapse? And are you doing them full resolution? I know there's some people that will like switch over and shoot JPEG when they're doing um, big, mm -hmm. long time lapses and stuff. So um, what, what cameras are you using and what format are you shooting in when you're doing time lapse? Uh, yeah, so cameras, well, it depends on what I'm shooting, to be honest. I mean, a lot of the times if I, a lot of the times for just day trips and stuff like that, I'll bring two cameras. Um, and most of the time I'm not setting up two cameras doing two time lapses at the same time. Usually the second camera is more of a backup. You know, I like to focus on just getting one nice time lapse a lot of the time. But for, so for example, for the Italy trip, I had pretty much three cameras with me at all times. Um, and I would set up one camera for a time-lapse and then I'd use the other camera for stills. And then sometimes I would set up a second time-lapse if there was another angle that I really wanted and providing I had a, enough time beforehand to set up and really scout. Uh, the cameras, um, I used my 6D for the lightning shot um, two days ago, I still use that camera. That's oh, still wow. kind of like I didn't like realize my... you were still using uh, Canon occasionally. Yeah. I thought you were all Sony now. No, I, I, I use Sony for most, I would say. I mean, I've got the A7R2 for stills, you know, for the, kind of the high-res stills. And then I have the A7S, which is probably my favorite time-lapse camera mm -hmm. because I've been shooting everything 4K, so I don't need a super high resolution and that thing is just amazing under low light and it's got yeah. a nice buffer speed and the files are a little smaller so they're a little easier when you have to import like that's the thing about time yeah. lapse is it is a hard drive killer like you can just totally fill up a hard drive in no time if you're into time lapse yeah i think i shot like 1.5 terabytes <laughs> in like a week or two <laughs> that's insane um, yeah, so I shoot raw though, always, yeah. just because I you really need the the quality. Well, I guess you don't need the quality. It really depends on what you're doing and what your purpose is. I think if I was, you know, if I was shooting some basic real estate time lapse, I'd probably switch to JPEG. Uh, or if I was doing, yeah, if I if I knew I didn't need to edit the files at all and, and I was just right. going to keep everything really really natural and raw, I'd probably just shoot JPEGs. But I've 
pretty much shot raw for everything because I really like to play with the the colors and the tones, and I I like to treat my time lapse clips as if they're photographs, and I you know love to just sit there with a tablet pen and really process an image. So the same kind of applies with the time lapse. I mean, you can't you, know, you can't sit there and brush like with a tablet pen on a time lapse, but you can really crank Lightroom sliders to get some really interesting yeah. moods and interesting effects, especially when you're doing uh, night sky time lapse yeah. and you're shooting at super high ISOs, you need every little bit of detail you can possibly get. So it's important to shoot raw. And then uh, with the uh, day to night shots, you're oftentimes having to really crank the white balance. You're having to really crank the highlight and shadow slider. So um, it's super important for those types of time lapses to shoot raw as well. Cause you, you need all the range you can possibly yeah. get, but any kind of nightscape does not look good when you're shooting in JPEG because uh, nightscapes no. in general, they just need a whole lot of digital love because it's mm -hmm. such a huge dynamic range that you're trying to capture in one frame, you know, yeah, bright stars and really, really dark foregrounds. Um, you need, you know, the noise reduction. There's a lot of stuff you need and being able mm -hmm. to shoot in raw and do the edits that you do. That's a huge benefit. So day to night, that's like, that is one of the most difficult, challenging types of time lapse that there is. How are you doing your day to night stuff? Yeah. So the day to night scenes, that's probably the question in time lapse I get asked the most, I would say. The cool thing about doing it is there's a lot of different ways of doing it. And the ways of doing it have also become better over time. So, I mean, if you asked me that question five years ago, I'd be like, uh, okay, let me explain, but it's mm -hmm. kind of difficult. But now there's, there's way more options than there were before. I mean, there's even apps that you can get on your, on like, I think it's the Magic Lantern app, you know, does that for you. And okay, let me just, I'll go over all the different things you can do. So the first thing, so this one's not necessarily recommended in a lot of cases, but it does work sometimes. And that's to do multiple shots. Uh, so you'd set up one shot, um, maybe before the sun sets, and then you'd set up one shot during twilight, and then you'd set up and do one shot at night. And then you would take all of all those three shots or maybe two shots if you, you know, didn't want the whole thing. And then you'd process all of them and then you dissolve them you right kind of and just do like a big long other. crossfade okay yeah and a lot of the times the effect actually does look good depending on what you're trying to show and i have made it look pretty realistic to where people um didn't think it was a dissolve they thought it was an actual ramp um and the one cool thing about doing that method is you instead of having just one day to night shot you have three different shots you can choose from so if you didn't like the way the day to night looks or something went wrong you have the other shots you have yeah. a day shot or not really a day shot but like a sunset shot a twilight shot and a night shot so it is kind of cool to do that sometimes but i've kind of stopped doing that method just because if you have any clouds or any really quick moving objects in the frame they're going to dissolve halfway through and, and it does look kind of weird. Yeah. You get a little bit um, of ghosting and any kind of thing yeah. that is moving or changing its position. Yeah. Sometimes it looks great, but for a lot of scenes where you have quick moving objects, it just doesn't work. So I usually don't recommend me that method. Plus it's a ton of work. You have to shoot three individual shots, process three individual shots, and then you dissolve them. And half the time you're like, Oh, this didn't actually work. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't, really recommend that one anymore but um the other methods so there's 
a method called bulb ramping, and that's when you take this external device that will slowly ramp the exposure over time. There are, this has been used forever. Uh, there, there used to be some bulb rampers that are super manual that you would have to know the exact exposure once it got dark and um, know exactly how much the ramper would need to change over time. It was super technical, um, but that's how a lot of people got some incredible day to night shots, uh, you know, years ago. Now there are newer bulb rampers. Now there's a ton of companies making these newer rampers that rather than you, um, telling the ramper how much to, uh, change the exposure, it actually is, they have light meters on them, or they can read the light meters through the camera and then change the exposure, um, over time. So I can't remember the name of the bulb rampers since I, I don't use them, but I have been recommended to check them out by a few photographers. And I know there's some good ones that are out now. And it seems like um, that would be really easy to like introduce a bunch of flicker and stuff like that. I would think if it's using some kind of light meter, there's always the opportunity that that light meter is going to fluctuate a little bit or, yeah. you know, the way it's reading. So yeah, I would think that that would have its drawbacks for sure, but that sh certainly gets you a whole lot closer to getting a good result. Yeah, so so that's definitely um, a good way of doing it, especially with the older bulb rampers, the ones that are like completely manual. They're just really hard to use um, mm. because, I don't know, I think about it in my head and I don't know what the exposure is going to be at night. I mean, I get it. I have a general sense of what the exposure will probably be at. But the thing is, if you're shooting a city or a different scene at night, every city has a different light yeah. value. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I'm shooting like downtown San Diego and it's small in the frame, I'm going to need a heavy, I'm going to need a pretty long exposure because it's such a dark city. But if you're shooting like in Shanghai or something, <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a super quick exposure since there's so much light being pumped into the camera. So completely different scenarios. You'd have to, the thing about using the old bulb rampers is you'd have to go the night before, watch the whole sunset, take pictures and know what the exposure is going to be for the next night, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's one way you can do a method called the Holy Grail method. And this is a method... Um, that was made through <laughs> it's a cool name um and it's actually one of the it's it's like a favorite among a lot of people um and it's using a program called lr time lapse actually you don't necessarily have to use lr time lapse for it but it does make it a lot uh easier so th the holy grail method is basically you standing by the camera and you're going to every time you see the light meter change to let's say i I've, i know some people who they'll change the exposure every single time they see it hit like two-thirds of a stop mm -hmm. uh, but i know people who even change it every single time they see the light meter hit one-thirds of a stop wow. um i think with the older cameras like i was using i did a holy grail method with like an old Canon 5D Mark II, and I noticed that even just two-thirds of a stop, um, if I would realign the exposures in post, I noticed like little differences in quality that could be noticed in the time-lapse. But with something like an A7S or an A7R or one of these cameras with higher dynamic range or um, higher lens light sensitivity, uh, doing the Holy Grail method, so basically just changing the exposure over time for like two hours, which is really tedious, but um, and then taking all those times that you change the exposure and um, alter them in post. You know, like if you clicked the camera two thirds of a stop 
at a certain point in the time lapse, you would then have to go in in post in Lightroom or in LR time lapse and adjust for that. Um, it's, it's, it's actually okay. It sounds a lot more tedious than it actually yeah, is. Yeah, that sounds I've, I've like super tedious. Actually, I've done a few of them, and they're not. Yeah, I mean, you know what though? I will say this: if you're getting into time lapse, yeah, I mean, you're just bound to run into tedious situations even just shooting a regular time lapse and processing it can be tedious at times so i feel like if if you're going to be dedicated enough to shoot a time lapse (laughs) you're usually going to be dedicated enough to do all the annoying work that can go into it but um i have a my friend brian does really incredible holy like he he loves using the holy grail method and he's done some really incredible stuff with it so using that method how do you avoid the kind of stair-stepping exposure change this seems like it would kind of change in steps you know like you would you would adjust your exposure and then Mm -hmm. the ambience would get a little bit darker and then the exposure would change again how do you avoid how do you smooth that exposure transition out over time manually oh (laughs) (laughs) i don't like the sound of that at all that just sounds hard you have to it's actually not that hard if you think about it because your, your camera changes exposures in increments of um, a third right. of a stop, right? Mm-hmm. So if you were to change your camera, if you were to knock the dial two times and go two thirds of a stop, all you would need to do is compensate for that in Lightroom using a slider. So sli- the sliders in Lightroom have increments of like, okay, you're, inc- you're increasing the shot by a stop. You're increasing right. the shot by a third of a stop. So as long as you do it by the increments, you can actually get it perfect you can get it seamless um but yeah so you know there there are little there are it it is one of the more tedious ways because you have to stand by the camera the whole time and change the exposure and if you're not looking and you realize oh damn the exposure changed by three stops you can you can recover a stop usually you can recover two-thirds of a stop but if it goes down three stops your when you recover that in Lightroom, it's not going to look like the previous frame. Yeah. You know, so that's the only thing about that. It's really tedious to shoot, and then in post, it does take a while to go through and smooth out those frames. And then you use a program called LR Time Lapse, which is used to uh, keyframe and then gradate white balance changes, exposure changes, a ton of stuff. Basically, it's a, it's a really good asset to to use. Yes. Uh, but anyways, yeah, that's the Holy Grail method. And then you said times. that you're you're not using any kind of bulb ramping, it sounds like you're doing it fairly manually. How do you, like, what's your go-to method when you're doing it now? I've done some with the Holy Grail recently. Also, sometimes I'll just let the camera do it. Set my camera to to aperture priority, and I'll just let it run. And the Sonys have been pretty good dealing with the changes. It really depends on what you're shooting and how you choose to set up the shot. Like, for example, if you take an A7S, a Sony A7S and you uh, do a day to night shot, you set it to aperture priority mode and you face away from the sun at like a mountain with the light cascading up the mountain, you have a pretty good chance that you're not going to run into that much flicker um, depending on how you set it up. And Yeah, that makes sense. Know, it would be when yeah, you spot, have like you know, a really light. strong light source in the frame that, that your meter is mm-hmm. going to freak out on you. Like if you're doing, you know, pointing at a, a sunset or something like that, mm-hmm. that's, I yeah, would you, think. You point at a sunset where the sunball is actually going down, that's where you're going to run into more of the problems. Um, and then, you know, any city where there's any sort of like light fluctuation, like I've done day to night shots of 
freeways with like cityscapes in the background and having car lights coming at you i mean that just oh, makes yeah. the light meter go crazy so yep. little things like that it's you kind of have to consider before you set up the shot the thing is you can get rid of flicker in post um lr time lapse is an amazing program where you can get rid of flicker in the shot you can analyze the flicker you can make it so uh the program kind of analyze certain areas of the image or certain images that have the flicker um, it's actually a really powerful tool. Uh, and then, the, you know, there's other ways of getting rid of it too, like blending frames and this and that. It gets, it can get pretty technical. And, yeah, it just depends on the shot. And I imagine it depends on your, um, the, the level of perfection you're striving for. Some people will be okay with a little bit of flicker. Others, like probably like you, you get rid of every single piece of flicker because you're striving for a really high quality shot. Yeah, no, I get rid of all flicker <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah flicker is the devil all flicker if i flicker can flicker is and, the devil bobby boucher um <laughs> yeah i any amount of flicker really bugs me uh in the time lapses yeah everyone has a different goal right you know mm -hmm. some people just want to show the progression of time and and that's kind of it and a little bit of flicker isn't really a big deal and if flicker is not really a big deal or like if a bird flies in your frame and you're okay with that that's that's totally cool you don't need to do all the crazy stuff it's just I like really cinematic looking time lapses. I don't really do time lapses just because I want to show it, just because I want to document a thing, you know? I want to yeah. kind of this higher quality cinematic sort of scenes. So, Well, and I With think it's safe thing, to really say that you succeed in that because it, anybody <laughs> that has not already seen some of your time lapses, they need to check it out because your time lapses are amazing. We're talking to you about this for a reason because <laughs> you're a stud oh, when thanks, it comes man. to time lapse. Um, so I, you I really appreciate that. No problem. You capturing it on the cameras that we talked about and the sliders we talked about. Uh, what what software are you using to put together your time lapse? Everything kind of for me at least, and everyone has their own methods. I'm disclaimer: <laughs> every single thing that I've said is not necessarily what somebody else who does time lapse would tell you. You know, everyone has their own ways of doing things, and yeah, uh, as far as cameras, as far as their techniques, as far as everything. So just consider that when I'm rolling over all this stuff. But uh, as far as the software that I use, I always start with Lightroom. I bring everything into Lightroom. That's where I like to kind of edit. That's where I like to start editing the files and looking at the files in general. Um, and I, I do use LR time-lapse for any scenes where there's a lot of light change. Like if I am doing a day-to-night shot or there's like a scene where it it goes from really bright to really dark, I'll go in and use LR time-lapse uh, basically with Lightroom. It's, it's, it's a standalone program that is kind of uh it, it basically saves metadata so it works with lightroom but it's not like a plug-in sort of right. weird to explain but anyone who hasn't checked it out just go check out lr time lapse it's pretty cool but lightroom lr time lapse and that's where i'm kind of editing all the photos that's where i'm doing my color correction and, and this and that and then i export everything out of lightroom as jpegs and i bring those into premiere or wait no, I missed a step. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, premieres after. Uh, uh, premieres after After Effects. Oh, uh, after, after Effects, effects. is okay. the next one. Yeah. So I go into After Effects, and that's where I do little effects. Like maybe maybe there's uh, a bunch of camera shakes, so I'll use like warp stabilizer, or maybe there's little things I need to change, or I need to do some masking, cropping, but basically little effects. I'll do in After Effects 
and I'll export the photos as an image sequence out of After Effects. So from, you know, when they go into After Effects, it's all images. But then when they come out of After Effects, I'm getting a video file, like right. a high quality video file. I export it in like a lossless compression. And then from there, I take all the video files into Premiere and edit together the actual video with music and titles and this and that. Yeah. So the the thing is when you're editing any videos really you're usually you're you get the video clips from the camera and then you bring that into premiere um, so basically that's my last step you just need the first two steps beforehand since you <laughs> have photos instead of it you have to figure out how to get it into a video file before you can actually start editing together an actual montage or a piece so right. yeah that's kind of the whole process though and that, that would be the whole the whole thing, I would say. I don't really use any other programs. I, I know some people who use QuickTime. I know some people who have used Photoshop and they seem to enjoy it. But just based on my experiences, that's kind of how I've always done it. Cool. Yeah. And, and stuff like that, it has more to do with how familiar you are with the tool rather than the tool itself. Like if you can mm -hmm. accomplish what you're trying to accomplish, that's the main thing. It's like people editing photography. Everyone has their own way of using Photoshop or any program to, to create the visual effect they want to create or edit the photo they want to edit it. And no one really cares. You know, I mean, as you look at the end result and you're like, oh, well, you didn't do the dodging and burning that I did. You know, no one yeah, cares exactly. about that. It's just like, no, you made a really amazing picture and you did it your way. And it, the same could be said for time lapse. There's a lot of different ways of doing it. And uh, everyone has their own preferred method. And a lot of that comes with experience. A lot of that comes with trying out the different tools and seeing just what works for your own workflow. Absolutely. So yeah. where can people go to uh, see more of your work and maybe check out workshops and stuff that you might be doing in the future? Sure. Yeah. I'm doing a workshop with my friend Aaron in the Eastern Sierras. We're going to teach time-lapse and landscape photography and that should be a lot of fun. And hopefully I'll schedule more workshops soon, but uh, anyone can cruise over to my website, which is shamebloomphoto.com. That's just my last name with photo at the end. That's where most of my work is. And then the usual social channels, Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, I think you're... Uh, you only have like 770,000 followers or something like that on Facebook. <laughs> so, you know, if you could go give him a, a give him a follow, that would mean a lot to him because <laughs> he's really struggling with followers. He's only got like a oh, hundred times more followers than I do. <laughs> oh, that is like the last, that doesn't matter at all. <laughs> I know, I know. Like but you, you know, know that you're just trolling. Yeah, I am just trolling. <laughs> well, man, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's always awesome talking to you. Oh man. I really appreciate you inviting me on it. It was a lot of fun and you know, I don't do a lot of these podcasts, so it was fun to be on this one. I really appreciate it. Cool, man. So make sure you go check out his stuff and thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks so much guys. 